Presbyterian Church as we continue to look at God's Word and in our study of Galatians. I would ask that you would take your copy of God's Word that you have with you, the Bible, and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 21 through 31 today, and I would encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Today we are looking at Galatians 4. Remember, we have been studying this epistle to the Galatians by the Apostle Paul and learning what Paul is doing by calling the Galatians back to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ to live in light of the fact that they have been redeemed by the work of Christ, the blood of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and all of those things being applied to the believer and the believer in Galatia, one who is now being drawn away uh, from this gospel. And so turn with me as we pick up in the book of Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. We'll finish out the chapter, Lord willing, today. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your word, for your truth. We thank you that even this morning, amidst all the chaos and turmoil, we can come and hear your truth, and we can hear your word, and we can be encouraged by the fact that we are the new Jerusalem, the children of promise, not under the yoke of slavery. We thank you, O Lord, for your word. We ask now that you would uh, pierce our very minds and our hearts, that you would renew us in our strength and encourage us in our faith, that we, O Lord, may hear your word as our master, that you may teach us, that we may move toward you in our sanctification and in our growth. Anoint my lips, O Lord. Give me a clarity of speech and of mind that I may preach your word, that the words of Christ would be heard here today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. One nation under God. 
How many of you remember Brian Bosworth? I watched recently a documentary on Brian Bosworth, the college football player, the linebacker from Oklahoma. And the title of this documentary was called Brian and the Boss. See, what you may remember most about Brian Bosworth is not only that he was a great linebacker playing from 1984 to 86 for the Oklahoma Sooners, but also that he had uh, almost a dual identity. He had a persona, as you may remember, and he was called the Boz, but yet his given name was Brian. Brian played after two seasons in the NFL for the Seattle Seahawks and then retired quickly, prematurely, some may say. And the reason was that he had shoulders of a 60-year-old. He was beat up. He was broken. You see, here's a man that spent his college days and his high school days prepping for uh, the NFL and becoming uh, a great linebacker, a great player. And what I really like about this documentary is that it shows this intrapersonal dilemma that Brian Bosworth had. That he had a dilemma. He wasn't sure who the boss was. He wasn't sure who Brian was. And this film actually highlights a lot of these things. This man was very confused. You see, Brian wanted to um, appease his father's desire for him to play football. Brian Bosworth sought his father's attention and approval, and so he was driven to be the best football player he could be. But then somewhere in his college days, and and even in the NFL especially, you may remember the persona that was the boss, in which he let the back of his hair grow out and trimmed the sides and almost had a mohawk, and then he would cut the sides and put colors in there, and he would wear sunglasses and be flamboyant, and he was the boss. Yet the whole time being in turmoil, having a dilemma within not knowing who Brian was and who the boss was. At the end of this documentary, he speaks a lot about what it was like to live in that turmoil and in that dilemma. He speaks a lot about letting his teammates down by his actions, by his persona, by uh, being something other than who he really was and being confused He talks about his steroid use and and being um, not able to play in the national championship. He talks about the distractions that this brought to the team and to the effort, to the winning or lack of winning of the games. I bring this up not because I want to highlight Brian Bosworth, the Seahawks, or Oklahoma football, though some of you may enjoy that, I bring this up because when I saw this, I immediately thought of the church. I thought of God's people. I wondered how many of God's people actually have this very same dilemma. That we are trying to be something we're not. Or we're trying to fit in so much with the world around us that we may compromise who we truly are called to be. That somehow I'm afraid the church and the people of God are in this very same dilemma. Our persona may be somewhat flamboyant. It may be uh, a way for us to fit into the world, but our calling, our true person, in the eyes of God, who we are called to be, 
may be different. And I bring this up because Paul brings this up in this passage. There are two groups of people being mentioned. Those that are covenant people, the covenant people of God, the covenant of promise, and those who are covenant under the law, those who are slaves. I wonder if we, the people of God, are often confused in our worldview, in trying to be uh, maybe one foot in the world and one foot in God. Or, to put it maybe as Paul said, maybe turning away from being a covenant people of promise and turning to a covenant people of the law. How many of us want the law over our head? How many of us want us to be a child of slavery? Now Paul uses these verses here, and he plainly says, and I thank him for it, that he wrote this as allegory. So it's not a one-to-one correlation. We know anything about allegory. We know it, it simply means that it, it's like something. And so Paul isn't saying that, that uh, Sarah is the covenant of grace and that Hagar is the covenant of works. He's saying, no, 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 I'm using these individuals as an example of the covenants. He's drawing uh, their, their minds and their hearts back to understanding the covenant promise of God. And that's very important for us to see today because just like any baseball team, basketball team, football team, you name it, that begins to lose traction on the field, that begins to lose multiple games. What do they do in every sense, in every case? They go back to the fundamentals. And I think what Paul is doing here in the book of Galatians and in this part of the chapter, preparing us for chapter 5 and, and going on to the rest of this epistle, is he is calling us back to the fundamentals. He's basically saying to the church of Galatia and to us, remember who you are. That you are children of promise. That you are under the covenant of grace, not the covenant of works. And so he draws in contrast these two covenants. That under Hagar, they're under slavery. That the law is what's emphasized. That this covenant being mentioned here is the covenant of works. And as long as you're in this covenant of works and you're not uh, able to fulfill the law, you are under God's wrath. That's his point as he draws this allegory. And his point even further is to say it's not that you are under this covenant any longer. As a matter of fact, as um, children of the promise, you are under a new covenant, another covenant, one under Jesus Christ. Here's a very important part, turning your Bibles to this verse that reflects exactly the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 29, But just as at the time He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Paul is basically saying this covenant of the law, this covenant in which Hagar represents, this is what we were under. And then when Christ fulfilled the law and did all of the work necessary that we've been preaching on and speaking on in dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, Redeeming us as God's people. Now we are under this covenant of grace. 
and that we are free from the wrath of God. We are redeemed and loved by God. And this is an important part because if we don't understand this, we can't go on to what Paul is going to call and exhort to the Galatians and us to in the next few weeks. So let's get this down. It is important for us to understand and to see ourselves as God's covenant people. A covenant people under the covenant of grace. Promise. Not of slavery. We need to draw that distinction and we need not operate as a group of people who are confused as to our calling and our place in the kingdom of God. For instance, let's think about Sarah here. And Paul is rightly using Sarah and Hagar as examples. But let's just look at Sarah. Remember the story of Sarah, remember God coming to her and, and giving Abraham a promise and she hearing this and laughing and not believing what God is going to do. And so what does Sarah do in response? Instead of trusting God, instead of placing her faith in God, she goes and tells Abraham to go ahead and sleep with Hagar, the slave woman. Go ahead and do this so that the promise may come true. She was trying to provide for what God had rightly promised. She had encouraged Abram to go. And Abram was on board with this. He thought evidently God needed help as well to bring about this inheritance, this promise. And I think the important lesson in all of this is for us to understand that sometimes we as God's people end up acting like Sarah. We are acting like Sarah in that we don't trust what God has promised us. We don't believe what God has promised us. So we think somehow in our own strength and our own ability, He needs us to do something to help Him out. And when we do this, we usurp God's throne. We seek in our own mind and we believe in our own heart that we, the people, are in control and God is not. And we are rather confused. We confuse those around us. So my encouragement to you this morning as we look at this passage is that we look at this example. That we look at what Sarah did and we are reminded that that is not how we should respond. That we should be reminded that we are a group of people, a covenant people of promise. That God has not only promised it, but He's brought it all to fruition. We should trust in that and have faith in that. And not seek to do things on our own. Sarah is a great example of what happens when we are confused in believing and understanding that we are a people of promise, a promise by God. Now, how many of you have heard of uh, the Castilians? The Castilians, probably not very many, and I hadn't until recently. At least I didn't know that's what they were called. Uh, The Castilians were a group of of Scots noblemen who uh, basically stormed St. Andrew's Castle in 1546. Some of you are going to tune out because I know this is history and a challenge for you, and that's okay. This is very important for us to understand because in this historic event, we have a lesson to learn. It's also our history as an Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. You see, during 
uh, this time in Scotland, the David Cardinal Beaton of St. Andrews, who was in charge, he was the Cardinal of the Holy Kirk. During this time, he was seeking to stamp out the Protestant Reformation. He was seeking to make his church the one true church. And although it wasn't biblical in its practice, and although it wasn't um, what Knox and even the other reformers, Calvin and so many others, would say is biblical, he sought to make it the church. And in doing so, he had legislation written into um, Parliament that the laws of the land were now that if anyone taught anything different than the church, that they were to be condemned. But not only condemned, they were to be killed. They were considered heretics. So anything contrary to the faith and the laws of the Holy Kirk was to be condemned and the person was to be killed. He had people hanged and drowned. There's a story of a, a mother who had just given birth and in, in, in labor she had prayed in Jesus' name for everything to go well and seeking the favor of God during this time. And when the officers had heard this, those who were keeping the law, when they found out that they, this lady had preached, sorry, had prayed in the name of of Jesus, rather than the name of Queen Mary, they had her drowned and they stole her baby. Beaton had this great Protestant reformer, the preacher George Weishart, who was basically the leader of this Reformation at the time. He had him burned at the stake. And so, in response to Weishart's death, and martyrdom, the Castilians stormed the castle. That's why they're called the Castilians. And in storming the castle at St. Andrews, they found themselves in the bedchamber of the Cardinal, Cardinal Beaton. And so one man then drew his sword and killed him. And he was stating at the time that Beaton was an obstinate enemy against Jesus Christ. These men had a worldview and an understanding that saw people as either supporting the church of Jesus Christ or opposing the church of Jesus Christ. Either you are a child of promise or you are a child of slavery. And I am not advocating that this should be our response. There are many more sermons forthcoming that will speak to this response. However... What I want you to understand is that their worldview, their understanding of this event and how all things were playing out before them in God's redemptive history is that it's very important for us to understand we are either a child of promise or a child of slavery. We are either for the kingdom of God, followers of Jesus Christ, believing what He says, acting upon what He says, or We are not. There is no third group. There is no middle ground. And then we get to the Scottish reformer John Knox, who we'll speak of in the next few weeks quite often. But right now, I'll just highlight just a few things because I wanted to understand how this fits in his worldview. John Knox, the reformer in Scotland, 
who was also a part of the Castilians, he was their chaplain, he was preaching grace over law. He was preaching this idea of being covenant people of promise rather than a covenant people of law. He saw this reformation, what he was doing in the Protestant churches, as being a gospel of grace, preaching and teaching it over what the Roman Catholic Church was preaching and teaching, which was the law. And so now you can see where Knox was coming from, that he was probably looking at this verse or something like this passage and saying, okay, if you are not a child of God, a child of promise, then you are a child of the law. And the practices that you are doing attest to that. And so he found himself as the chaplain of the Castilians. And Mary Guise, the queen regent at the time, what she did is she summoned the French to come and help her take back the castle at St. Andrews. Well, knowing that they weren't really fighters and didn't have a whole lot of um, ability to keep the queen and her army at bay, they reached out to Henry VIII. And so the French were being called on one side, the English being called on the other side. Well, the French showed up, the English did not, and the French and the Queen ended up prevailing, capturing Knox, putting him in prison, taking him back to England. And it's this trip back to England that I want to focus on real quick. That in this uh, time period, I think it was somewhere around 9 to 11 months that he was in captivity and and rowing and and being treated um, as a prisoner. He was often accosted by the French guards. He was often accosted by French Catholics. They were attempting to convert Knox to Catholicism. And they would often do certain things. And there's this one story where they, they were trying to get Knox to venerate Queen Mary. And so they had this wooden image and they put her image on this piece of wood. And they wanted him to bow down and pray to her and to venerate her and to lift her up. And Knox's response at the time was, such an image is accursed and therefore I will not touch it. They then put it in his face and put it in his hand and tried to force him to pray to this image, to bow down to this image. And so then he tosses it in the river and he says, let our lady now save herself. She is light enough. Let her learn to swim. Knox would do things like this because he understood that he was a child of God, a child of promise. That he was listening to the words of Christ, that he had ears to hear and eyes to see, and that he had to stand up and oppose those things that were not biblical, that were not right. Knox would go on and oppose the queen. And after his exile and return to Scotland, we'll read about this and hear about this later, he would face his greatest challenge in Queen Mary, otherwise known as Bloody Mary, who persecuted, persecuted many uh, Protestants for their faith in Jesus alone. He opposes English Protestant Thomas Cramner. Tom, Thomas Cramner in his liturgy was teaching that we can, can, can continue to sit and kneel at communion. 
And Knox was so opposed to this, he says, no, when you do that, you're basically calling those elements idols. And so he was opposed to those things. And so Knox made a habit of preaching against the corruption of the state and of the church. And at the time, the two were intermingled. He, was, he would go on to challenge these things in his preaching and his teaching and his writings. The author of this book that I'm reading says that Knox, about Knox, he says, some men create ripples, Knox created tsunamis. While preaching in England before his exile and before returning to Scotland, Knox stood against the Church of England and the bishop. And this is what he said. Knox says, O God eternal, hast thou laid none other burden upon our backs than Jesus Christ laid by his word? Then who hath burdened us with all these ceremonies, prescribed fasting, compelled chastity, unlawful vows, invocations of saints, with the idolatry of the mass? The devil, the devil, brethren, invented all these burdens to depress imprudent men to perdition. Wow. Boldness to stand up and say these things are not what a child of God should be doing. These things are not what our worldview says that we are to do. How we see ourselves, as I mentioned last week, has a very important role in how we respond and interact with the world that we live in. Knox was able to stand before these men because he understood that as a child of God he was called to follow Jesus Christ rather than man. And I think Paul is doing that very same thing in this passage. And so what are we to do with all of this? What does this mean? Uh, Thanks, Pastor, for bringing all this up. But what am I to do with it? Well, a very important verse in this passage is verse number 30. Turn over there to Galatians 4, verse 30. Paul tells us how we are to respond. Paul teaches the Galatians what they should do in this current situation. And he teaches us today how we are to respond, knowing that we are children of promise. He says in verse 30, But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. What Paul is saying here is that behavior, those actions, those thoughts, need to be cast out. In other words, you cannot... Be a child of the promise, yet live and have an understanding as if you are a child of the law. You cannot do both. You are no longer a child of the law under slavery. You are a child, if you will, of Sarah, of Abraham. The promise has been given to you. Paul's point here is the people of God are a people of promise. Promise of an inheritance. A promise of salvation. A salvation accomplished through Jesus Christ. The burden of the law no no longer applies to the people of God. That doesn't mean, as Paul says elsewhere, and we'll talk about this later, that that we keep on sinning so that grace may abound. No. What we're saying here, though, is that as we see ourselves as a child of promise, under the covenant of grace... Our worldview, how we see ourselves and how we interact with Scripture and what Jesus is teaching us should have a direct impact on how we respond, how we live our life. And we cannot live our life in the world as children of the law and as children of 
promise. We must recognize that they are completely different. They are at odds. And if one is teaching or moving you to be a child of the law, then they are drawing you from God's grace, from God's mercy, from His uh, way of salvation toward something else. And we need to be very mindful of where God is and drawing us and where others are drawing us away from God. If we look and act just like the world, then we should be concerned. This is the bottom line. If you are living a life and you look and sound just like your neighbors, or you're responding to things as the world responds, we may have a problem. If the church is acting like the world, then we have a problem. If the church is turning to the government who is currently doing, in my opinion, more than they are established to do in many areas. But if they are operating in this way and and doing more than defending and protecting our religious freedoms, then we have a problem. And if we are doing those same things, then we are acting like the world. We need to use caution in adopting the thoughts of the children of slavery. Our truth comes from God's Word. Our teaching comes from Jesus Christ Himself. Christ alone should be our source of truth and response. We must use caution in acting and speaking and thinking like the world. What does this mean for us? It means that we should check our own life. We should look at our um, interactions with the world. We should look at how we are responding to the world. We really need to think through our own actions and ask ourselves, are we acting like children of the promise? Are we acting as if we have been saved by God's grace or are we acting like children of the law? It is because we are justified in, through the blood of Christ. It is because we have uh, died, been buried and raised with Him that we now can live like children of promise. Are we following Jesus Christ and His ways, or are we following the world? It almost seems very simple, doesn't it? almost seems too basic. You know, during this time of fear and uncertainty, how should Christians respond? And brothers and sisters, if you find yourself responding like the world, Maybe a a very plain and simple way to put this is if you have too many friends agreeing with you on Facebook, uh, you might want to check yourself. If you're posting something and you're like, yes, I'm right, I know this is is right out of my heart, and I feel this, and it's great, and you put it out there, and and you get a hundred likes, and it's anything other than God's Word, you might want to reevaluate it. You might want to ask yourself, is my worldview one of God's? Is it, is it informed by what Christ tells me in Scripture? Or am I in agreement with the world? You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, remember the passage? He says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This obedience has been given to you. The ability to, to be captured in our minds by Christ, so that we may obey Him, is what we as children of the promise have been given. 
This morning, I want you to remember that you are a child of promise. That you are a child under the covenant of grace. That the work needed to correct the relationship damaged in the garden between you and God has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. That you are a child of promise. And God is a God who cannot lie. Hebrews 6.18 And if God promises that He cannot lie, then we can rest assured that what He has promised is true. We are a child of God being saved. And in that last day when He returns, we'll be raised again. One of the things you should be considering today is casting off these thoughts and actions that come from living as the world. As Paul says, Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. I think of growing up as a kid, right? And maybe your own children did this if you're a parent. They come to you and they say, can I do this? Can I uh, go to the 9 o'clock movie? Whatever it is. And the parent's response is, well, no, we're in bed by 8. And the child inevitably will come back and say, well, yeah, but everybody else is going to be there or everyone else is going to do it. And you've said this yourself and you've heard it. If you're a parent, again, I'm sure you've heard this. Everyone else is doing it. Why can't I? Sometimes we have that mindset in the church. We get confused. And we're much like Brian Bosworth. But see, what we're called to do as children of God, is to be children of the promise and to be like the salmon swimming upstream against the current. Christians, we need to see ourselves as different. Different in our thought, different in our words, different in our deeds. We are children of promise. My prayer is that Christ may ever be placed in our hearts and in our minds. That we may capture that he may capture our thoughts that we may obey him do you look like the world do you sound like the world are you trying to fit into the world are you okay with being a child of the promise child of Abraham and Sarah spiritual child a God whose heart and mind have been captured by Jesus Christ so that you may obey. Because brothers and sisters, we belong to the new Jerusalem. In this kingdom, we are one nation under God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, O Lord. We praise Your holy name that You have called us out of sin and misery, out of this burden of the law, and that You have redeemed us to be Your people, We ask, O Lord, that you would encourage us today to focus on being children of promise, a nation under your name, that we may be different than what we see in the world, that we may flee from sin and rebellion. We may fall on our knees and repent and turn back to you. Lord, help us to rest in this promise that you've given us. Teach us to be different, O Lord. Teach us to love you more, to love your people more, to love your church more, and to embrace the grace.
that you have given us in saving us from ourselves and from our sin. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.